Live Sound Bootcamp, brought to you by Rational Acoustics, developer of Smart, the industry's leading sound system measurement and optimization platform. Welcome to another episode of Live Sound Bootcamp. I'm Joe Santarpia, along with my co-hosts, Ryan John, Brandon Draper. How are you all doing today? Pretty good. Excellent. Excellent. I've come up with my one-liner for the next episode where I get to intro it. I, I saw get, you I writing something down. I was writing it down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm excited to hear that. Um, well, let's hope I can find this piece of paper when we record the next episode. Yeah. Yeah. Take a picture of it. Um, <laughs> today, we're uh, picking up where we left off uh, with the last one, uh, talking about feedback, um, something that uh, really sucks in the world of live sound, something that everyone is going to experience. Everyone's going to have to learn how to deal with if you want to continue to do live sound as a career. And um, uh, yeah, uh, yesterday or yesterday, whenever it was, we, t- we talked about <laughs> whatever you know, day we talked about sources of feedback, you know, things that affect it. Um, we, and we started to get into ways of, of kind of fixing it. Um, and we're going to pick, pick up there. Um, yeah, I think we closed up right around, you know, the idea of using uh, graphic EQs, parametric EQs. Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, let, let's, let's, let's pretend that we've, we've exhausted the concept of EQs and move on beyond that, right? right. So I know we had talked about things like, like mic pickup patterns and, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, speaker dispersion patterns and things like that. So in, in the context of monitoring... Uh, and I guess we'll talk about this from the perspective of a monitor engineer. When you have things like multiple mics on a source or things like DIs and mics on sources and things like that, um, do you guys always lean towards using the DI for monitoring if it's, if it's a possibility? It can be helpful for sure. You know, um, if, Mm -hmm. if there's a base DI and mic, yeah, I'll probably put the DI all around the stage rather than the open microphone. You know, especially, you know, think about like position wise, you know, bass players off, often close to a drummer. Maybe, you know, you could even say often they're to the left of the drummer. You could take mm-hmm. it a, take it a next step further and say that the drum wedge is typically and like sub might be just to the left of him. So, so that's a very close proximity um, of a microphone to speaker, you know, which we talked a lot about. So, you know, pun- you know, Drummer, again, speaking general terms here, drummer might want a lot of bass. So pumping that bass microphone that's potentially two feet away from that, that wedge into that wedge, it's, it, you could potentially run into some problems there. So, yeah, mm-hmm. um, use, with, in the context of monitors, using a DI can definitely help you mitigate feedback. Absolutely. Brennan, you're kind of in the same boat. Yeah, I'm the same, especially with bass. I'm trying to think of any situations where I w- would go for the mic instead Mm -hmm. unless the artist asked me to because i you know in in the context of in-ears oh i i I could actually argue that you know true you use both right Mm -hmm. in the context of wedges right we're already talking about people that don't have things stuffed in their ears blocking it out so that bass player is already hearing what's what that mic's picking up anyways right Mm -hmm. he's standing in front of the cabinet so it almost seems like it has no value really yeah to kind of put that you know, everywhere. Instead, mm-hmm. take the cleaner signal. So, you know, since we're talking about feedback, really the goal here is to mitigate bleed of other crap that you're then throwing into monitors. Mm-hmm. So using, in the context of wedges, speakers on stage, that kind of stuff, using the DI can be really helpful to kind of remove extra crap that you're putting yeah. into that mix, right? It's sure. cleanliness. And this is assuming you have the luxury to do that, obviously, you know, like we're talking... You obviously can't change out the mic or, you know, switch the source to a DI like in the middle of the show, but, you know, during sound check or rehearsal or whatever it is, you know, beforehand, when you have the luxury of time, this is uh, something you could do. Yeah, and, you know, Brendan, this is a question for you. You know, if if a bass player, you've got a DI and a mic, and, and we're talking wedges and all that, if a bass player says, I want to hear my bass, Mm-hmm. Which of those would you start with? Would you start with the DI and then only pull in the mic if necessary? Or like, like how do you lean there? Yeah, I mean, I always start with the DI in that situation. And I've never once been asked to put the mic in the wedge. Okay. So, so yes. 
Uh, one scenario, this is very specific, but one scenario where specifically a bass DI versus a mic where you might go for the mic in the monitors is uh, if the bass player uses a distortion pedal and in like yep. heavy distortion, you know, you're going to yeah, get a definitely, lot of, I can agree with that. You're going to get a lot of weird top end graininess in the, uh, in the, in the DI signal that's getting, um, attenuated and smoothed out mm. by the amplifier. So, right. The speaker's not actually reproducing yeah. it. It's just kind of, yeah. It's going to be a totally, totally different sound, um, from the, from the DI to the mic, uh, jarringly different to the point where if you put the DI in the bass player, I go, what the fuck is that? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so now, now at, at, no, at, go ahead. At, at the very least it might, require some treatment you know low pass something like yeah. that now now if you are a bass player or if you have a good relationship with your bass player i would suggest to them that if you're doing some scenario like that um have something like a sans amp pedal or something like that that kind of does a bit of speaker emulation so you can take the di out after it love those um a lot of amp heads nowadays have di's built into them and many of them do some amount of speaker emulation in them not all of them in fact i think the majority probably don't but like mm. some of them do uh and it kind of gets rid of a little bit of what you're talking about there i mean obviously the sound of a distortion pedal di is usually really gross it sounds really really disgusting <laughs> but the moment you put it through speaker emulation or a real speaker the speaker itself kind of compensates for that grossness because it doesn't actually reproduce it that linearly you know yeah yeah totally cool so i think the gist of that whole section though is is kind of if you have a di um use it over the mic because at least it's it's less prone to feedback mm -hmm. Absolutely. right 100 percent yeah. So, what about things on stage themselves, right? Um, yeah, you know, you always the, you always hear the, the the argument of like, get your get your band on in ears, you know, like yeah. If obviously if everyone's on in ears and there's not a single wedge on stage, there's zero possibility of there being monitor feedback on stage. You know? uh, I'm glad you said monitor because I was about to be like, nope, nope, oh, me at front nope. of house, I can still ruin your oh, life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, same, same, um, yeah. Um, you know, the, this goes the same for other other devices that basically will replace a speaker. You know, the butt kicker thumper scenario um, is uh, it can be helpful too, especially for you so know. so so for anyone that doesn't know, could you describe what a butt kicker is? Yeah. Right. So uh, a butt kicker is essentially a motor that's connected to an amplifier and then attached to the seat, the drummer's seat. And what it does mm -hmm. is when signal hits that amplifier, it drives the motor to spin and basically vibrate the seat. Um, it kind of it kind of gives the sensation of a sub. You're literally it's literally vibrating your butt because okay, you're sitting on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it kind of like it kind of uh, resonates in your whole body, you know. And that can yeah. give the drummer a feeling of power and like get them comfortable in a, in the low end uh, in regards to the low end of their their own mix without their actually having to be all that low end on stage mucking up the rest of it and causing feedback everywhere else. Right. And since it's literally vibrating a chair. This this is not actually making any sound except right. for maybe the sound of the motor, which which we can kind of ignore because obviously that's a lot quieter than the drum kit. Big time, big time. Um, so yeah, no possibility of feedback. It is weird. They sound super weird. I find them weird to sit on. I, I think it's really <laughs> it's a bit strange, strange feeling. It's a bit strange. But you know, if if you've got a drummer who's potentially on in ears, and you want to be able to provide, you know that feeling of, of kind of the, the power of a subwoofer, this is a way to do it without actually adding stage volume, and this is a way to do it with zero risk of feedback. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and they actually make those for, um, for like, bass players or other musicians oh, as well. Isn't so like there, like, this a little pad? board? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like a pad with the same thing kind of built into it, so a player could, you know, put their foot on it or stand on it and feel the vibration of the notes they're playing. Yeah. That's quite cool. Yeah. Don't they have those like they have those like vests you can wear now too? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh sub packs or whatnot. Yeah, sub packs. <laughs> yeah. I kinda like wanna a try that. Oh. Yeah. I think it's I think it'd be interesting. I mean maybe better for a bassist than for a drummer, you know. I don't know if like having your body like your chest vibrate as you're playing drums would yeah. be that cool. But I feel like I feel like all this stuff is a sign of like the most particular musician. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're like, oh, this this dude's got a fucking butt kicker. Like, he's serious, you know? Like, he's he's going to be asking for some changes to his monitors. I mean, it, do, <laughs> well, it does help, though. Like, yeah. when no, you're no, doing I monitors, agree. like, with in-ears, like, it, it, for sure. it makes a big difference not having that sub on stage. Of course, of course. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> Just imagining, like, you know, the 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 drummer for, like, the, the local band, like, rolling up to the bar 
like with the butt going kicker? Up to the, yeah, going up to the like the the sound person who's who's you know they've got two mixes. There's like two wedges on like a little twelve channel Mac, and he's like, "Hey, can you can you hook this thing up, man? <laughs> can you feed me feed me in, in yeah. my butt kicker? No, you're gonna have to. No, but you know from from an engineer perspective, um, <laughs> if if your drummer wants that feeling, this is something you can do. You yeah. can offer the the concept of a butt kicker or a thumper, as some people call it, because. He can get this. He or she can get the same feeling, but you know we reduce the extra noise going on stage that everyone has to hear. Because mm-hmm. don't don't forget, you know, a, dr- a drummer's sub hits everybody. It's not just the drummer that hears it; it yeah. gets to everyone. It makes it to the front row, depending on you know the size of your stage. It makes it makes it to the whole venue, depending on the size of your venue. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. You're even... making a mess of the whole mix ultimately by putting one of those there. Totally. Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I mean, yeah, even even in big venues, you can hear that shit sometimes. If it's loud enough, like, you know, I've I've had to tell, you know, a two thousand cap room, I've had to tell the, you know, the monitor, have a, not tell, but have a conversation with them. You're like, please turn that down. You know, you did not say it that nicely. Come I, on, <laughs> you're right. I think it was turn more that shit. Like, it was like it was like, dude, that is way too fucking loud. I think that's exactly what I said. Like, yeah, come I, on. I believe that. Like, I know, I know you can hear that. You know, I know that you can take a little bit less of that. Please. So yeah, you know, from an engineer perspective, uh, thumpers for monitor engineers uh, make life a little easier. Uh, also, you don't have to haul around a and, and move around giant subwoofers. No. These things are a lot smaller than that. Um, some of them are self-powered too. You can just plug an XLR straight into them. Those ones are great. Woo. Oh yeah, there's an yeah, amp, amp nice. built right onto the thing, huh? Yeah, yeah. Some companies make uh, may, maybe it's even Pearl or something that makes a self-powered thumper. That's got to be like a pretty well-built thing to have like a whole amp's worth of circuitry on something that's like made to like it's heavy. vibrate violently. You, you know, you don't want to you don't yeah. want to drop them on your feet. Or on no. Your <laughs> no. <laughs> Anyways, let's 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 move. All right, <laughs> past the butt kickers. Yeah. All right, so let's assume that we have done everything in our in our power to kind of get cleaner signals. So, you know, tighter mic patterns, reducing stage volume, uh, using DIs, um, I don't know, that, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Do, what are some of the other tools we have to kind of clean up the sound on stage or potentially clean up possible feedback sources? Well, one way uh, to do that would be to turn off things that you're not using. And lucky for us... Yep, definitely turn off Joe's talk back. Tur- turn mine off, yeah. <laughs> definitely uh, not using that. <laughs> lucky lucky for us sound engineers, there's a, there's a device that will do that for you. No way. There's an auto Joe shut up there's button? An auto, it's, it's literally called that, and yeah, <laughs> it reads your mind, and it just tunes me out of everything. Yeah. Oh, man, <laughs> this podcast would be so awkward if, if I used that button. <laughs> yeah, it would be a, a whole lot of you guys um, having meaningful conversations, right? Yeah, just <laughs> every few minutes. And anyways, it's like, yep, uh huh. Yeah, tell mm-hmm. tell me about this tool, Joe. Uh, yeah, g- gating slash expanding. Um, uh, essentially, you know, if if you don't know what a gate is, you it's a device where you set a threshold, and below that threshold, if the signal is below that threshold, it will attenuate the signal this is it's, it's the opposite of compression um it, it's not waiting till the signal crosses the threshold to attenuate it's 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 essentially not opening until it crosses the threshold so this is really useful for something like a kick drum because you know you might have a nice big fat kick drum sound and the drummer wants it really loud in their wedge um and it's starting to like it's starting to feedback starting to cause some low-end feedback that rumble we talked about in the last episode um you could potentially slap a gate on it and you know only then when the kick hits will it open and then it'll close after it's done hitting so it cuts off that rumble cuts off that uh you know uh potential for feedback yeah and you know the the goal here really is you only want that microphone open when that instrument is being played right kick drum is an easy example right because you got a you know large transient it it's loud when it's on mm-hmm. and it's pretty close to silent when it's off right so it's easy to set a gate to be able to open for those kick hits and then close for all these other times Absolutely. now from a monitor's monitor perspective i've had plenty of of drummers say uh you know you're gating my kick i can hear it uh, yep. can you ease up on this so 
I, I know that in some scenarios you can get pushback here. Absolutely. But fortunately, fortunately, gates also have, you know, a ratio control and a range control, you know, using the expander side here, where instead of cutting it to silence when the kick's not being played, maybe you just turn it down by 3 dB. Mm-hmm. 3 might not sound like a lot, but it's going to make a big difference when you're doing this kind of thing across 10 inputs, 15 inputs, 20 inputs, right? Absolutely. Cleans up, cleans up immensely, you know? Yeah. yeah. For, yeah four, 4 dB t- of noise times 20. You know, not only is it going to mitigate feedback, you're going to get a cleaner, like, stage sound. Yeah. Now, let's... let Or, Brendan, were you going to say something? I, I think you might be moving into what I was going to start talking about, so go for it. Oh, well, I, I was going to say, let's, let's, let's talk about expansion and gating in other places. Yes. Oh, yeah, baby. No, is that where you're about to go? I was so going to go there, yeah. It, it's probably just because Joe just said, you know, like 14 inputs of noise or whatever. I always think of things like, okay, I've got five backing vocals. Oh, yeah. Five backing vocals, all of which are pointed at the drum kit. <laughs> that's 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 basically how it goes, yep. right? Yep. <laughs> exactly. I'm always trying to get my, 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 my drums on one side of the stage and my BVs on the other, or my drums on one side of the stage, strings on the other. Like, I'm trying to get this thing done in a way where quiet stuff is really far away from loud stuff but then someone comes in and like this is my new visual design this is how the show needs to be and 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 the flautist is going to be on top of the drum riser standing right next to the drummer and i'm like come on man flautist Uh, i've i've had flute on a gig yeah that's awesome. It was it was actually really, really cool. I was like super bummed out when I heard about it. I was like, come on, this could be a huge pain in the ass. <laughs> and then cool. I heard it and I was like, Nope, this is excellent. This Flute's is awesome. Cool. Yeah. Lizard, and baby. flute, you can you can totally use a fifty seven on a flute and it sounds excellent. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know how yeah. that works, but it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyways though, okay. Gates in places that aren't the most obvious stuff, like drums. Talk to me, guys. Vocals. Vocals yeah. all, all all day, you know? If- um Ma- make mean, it transparent. Make it like make it as transparent as possible. Uh, specifically, you know, maybe a faster attack, a, a slower hold slash release setting, mm-hmm. low ratio. Um, what's the other parameter uh, um, that you can have? Range, uh, range, range, low ratio, low range. You know, so again, you know, a, a couple dB. It might, especially with a quiet singer, it might be, it might be the difference between you know, uh, barely audible and not audible. You know, it might just get yeah. you just the right, just that extra amount of headroom that you need. Yeah. Brendan, you do, you do ish the same. Yeah. And I mean, like if, if there's background vocalists, like say the guitar player and the bassist also sing, but they only sing like every four songs. Yeah. Throw it, throw it on there and have it, have the the range be like pretty far because like, you know, you might as well get rid of that extra sound. That's just totally. so, happening all the so time. So what about setting the threshold? Because I could see that being one of the tough parts of getting this right, right? Because let's say I've got a snare drum that's being hit behind behind that 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 backing vocal microphone, right? And yeah. a snare drum's 105, 110 dB, depending on this guy yeah. or girl, whatever. It, that's not quiet, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So how do we make sure that it's open for the vocals but doesn't open for that stupid snare drum? I think what you're kind of implying is is getting into the oh oh you think I'm implying I'm actually <laughs> asking <laughs> right I think I think what you're leading us to here um, the pond the river you're leading us to here uh, involves uh, the, you know the key inputs of the gate it um, does yes you how'd you know man well, how'd you know I mean this is this is this there, you know, there's you, only you so dealt many with me too long there's only you? so many parameters on the gate you know we've already talked about all the other ones so now we're gonna get to this one. So, and, and actually, you know, as, as a precursor, if, if anyone wants to get really deep into gates and stuff, we went through every single parameter. I think it was episode 18. It was one of the what we called front of house mix episodes. Um, but really, it's just mixing tools. So even though we stupidly called it front of house mixing part 957, yeah. it's actually just mixing tools. What are you going to do? You got to organize it somehow. You know, all this all this yeah. stuff's kind of fluid and, you know, relates to each other. But, you know, uh, totally. You, I, I'm going to give I'm going to I'm going to publicly give you the credit for writing this whole kind of how we organized this this whole show. And, um, you know, I, I think you did a great job. So, <laughs> well, thanks. Um, thanks. Thanks. Key, key, uh, key inputs for gating, um, especially in the in the in the uh, context of a vocal, y- there, there's something happening that you kind of have the benefit of, and that's proximity effect. Uh, typically and ideally, your singer's pretty close to the microphone, so there's a good amount of proximity effect going into that microphone. You might be filtering that 
somewhere, you know, but maybe your gate is before where that filter is, or even if it's not, there's still going to be a good amount of energy there. And if you use the low pass filter and the gate's key input, you can basically make it so that the gate only opens and only responds to that, that low end proximity effect of the voice, you know, sure. There's a lot of low end on stage in general, but what's actually being picked up by that microphone, the, you know, there's going to be more low end energy in your singer's voice than there is from the subs and there is from the snare drum. So it's not going to trigger the gate, you know? And let's be real clear, just, just for clarity, if someone didn't go back and listen to that episode and you haven't listened to this all in order, first of all, you're an asshole and you should have, but second of all... <laughs> no, they're, they're having a bad show right now. They came straight to the feedback episodes because that's what they're having problems with. That's it's probably mid, mid true. Show. Yeah, yeah. Mid-show. Mid-show. Gonna... Actually, yes, this is what you're doing instead of mixing yeah. the show. Feedback's still going and you're going, how do I <laughs> yeah. fix this? Like, hold on one second, guys. I just got to listen to this podcast uh, hold on for two hours worth of <laughs> bullshit episode right all right no but just just for clarity key input um what a key input on a gate is doing is it's using a specific th- separate signal for triggering the gate to open and close than it is for the actual audio path the detector now, that could be a different input like i could make it so that uh i don't know my my snare bottom microphone gate is opened by my snare top you can do that or it could just be an eq filter that is applied to the signal so in the context of what joe's saying he's saying we've got backing vocalist number one and the audio that's going through is backing vocalist number one but what the gate is listening to in order to open and close is backing vocal number one with this EQ applied that he's kind of describing here. And in the context of what you're describing, you're saying, you know, low passing, basically getting rid of all that crap that's in the top that is not necessarily relevant for opening the gate. Mm-hmm. 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 So when it comes to keys and gates and stuff, um, in the digital realm, we have buttons on most of them called listen. And listen is so incredibly useful because you can hit listen and it'll listen to what you filtered with the key here. Mm -hmm. So where this gets kind of cool, especially with things like vocals, is that every vocalist is a little bit different. Many female vocals don't have a lot of low end in the voice. Many male vocals, I don't know, lots of low end, maybe a little bit nasal, maybe other things. You know, everyone's a little different. So if you have the opportunity to... Um, and maybe you've recorded a virtual sound check and you can actually kind of come back and dial this in when the band's not even there, which is even better. Um, you can hit listen on this and filter around to find this spot where when this singer is singing, it's, it's loud. But then when the singer's not singing, none of the other stuff that's bleeding into this microphone is coming through loudly. Yeah. And, and then if you set your key around there, in theory, you should be able to set the threshold as low as possible and still have it open when that vocalist is there and not have it open when other stuff is, is yeah. happening, right? Yeah, the perfect gate for a vocal is operating, or in general, is operating an opening only when that source is producing sound and, and is not opened through any of the other times. Working with gates, you're going to find that it's, it's very difficult for it to be perfect, you know? Yeah. Uh, rarely will it be, and you have to make some um, consolations, but uh, that's, that's the idea. I would I would I would mention that this technique probably is more in the realm of like when you have wedges. Um if if you have in-ears on and you're a background vocalist and when you go up to your mic to sing, everything comes in at once like mm-hmm. that can be a bit jarring and I don't think they would want that but but you could att- I know, I don't think they'd want that either. Yeah. yeah. It would but definitely if, be more noticeable when it's injected right into your ears like that for sure. I would say if now, you, if you try it though you can mess with the range and just don't yep. make the range like super drastic. That that's that exactly situation. what I was going to yeah. say cuz in in any context when the gate opens and closes and it's a massively drastic change, it's kind of problematic anyways, yeah. right? Because even as a front of house engineer, if I start putting gates on background vocals, which I might do, I don't want the entire mix to change significantly when those things open up. I want it to be reasonably seamless. Now, another thing to kind of take into account is from the context of front of house using gates on background vocals, my idea is I want to clean up the garbage that's in the mix. I want to get rid of, you know, background noise as best I can. Mm -hmm. So it's not really a feedback thing. But another thing to note is that the moment someone's head is in front of that microphone, their head is a baffle, and it is taking out a bunch of the high frequency of the stuff that uh, you know was coming 
into that microphone before that because now mm-hmm. the head is blocking it. Yeah, yeah, true. So you know, you can kind of you can kind of get away with. I mean, Joe, you kind of described it well, but it, you know, it makes sense. Anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah no, you, you can get away. You know. D- Get away with what you can. Uh, be being mindful of, ke- of trying to keep it transparent, and especially, yeah, especially like Brennan said, if it's if it's right, you know, if it's in if it's in ears, um, yeah, great, super powerful, super powerful tool. Yeah, sure. super powerful tool. I, and and you know, like you had mentioned earlier, Joe, you know, you don't have to do I don't know twenty dB of reduction here, sure. uh, but if you do two three dB of reduction across many microphones you're going to make a pretty significant difference absolutely absolutely man it's it's so funny like you know i'll be I'll, you know be out there doing a mix or something like that and you know you've got the vocal pretty hot and just be like man you know i just it's just not there like i don't understand what am i doing wrong it's not there and then you mute the vocal mic and it's like the whole fucking thing just opens right up it's like oh this is gorgeous actually it's just all the <laughs> dog shit that's coming into the vocal mic that's not the vocals you know what i mean that's ruining this whole yeah. thing this can help you there too is what we're saying yeah um <laughs> it, it is one of those things you just got to be careful about it don't don't go too extreme with settings um there are also a bunch of other tools that exist that aren't just obviously gates you know things like pse from oh, waves yeah. Or the fifty forty five or five forty five from from Neve primary source expander. Ryan, you got me one of those. I did. Remember I that? did. Yeah. yeah. I haven't yeah. used yeah. it in a while, but I I plan to. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, those tools are essentially the same kind of idea, except some of them also add things like harmonic saturation. Now, actually, maybe this is a good point to throw in here too. Saturation on channels, uh, for the most part, especially in plugin world, tend to only affect louder signals in um in in an input so if you've got let's say a vocal and there's a bunch of bleed of other stuff that's kind of sitting under that vocal you can actually add saturation onto that vocal in order to make when the vocal's singing more dense and potentially sound louder and it might depending on what kind of saturation you're using and how this is all working it may not affect the stuff that is quieter in there Mm -hmm. so you can actually use saturation as a way to make your important signal kind of stand out a little bit more or a little bit louder, uh, which thus kind of increases your signal to noise ratio because your signal is your important signal and your noise is the other crap that's in the background, right? What's your go-to? Um, depends on the source. And of course, I'm an SXL user, so I'm, I'm a little bit of a, all over the place. But there are certain saturation tools that are really good for bright sources, mm-hmm. stuff like SPL Twin Tube and things like that. And then certain things that I think work better for dark sources, like heat built into the channel on that desk is mm. stunning for dark sources. Or, you know, Crane Song Phoenix, that kind of thing. Mm. Really good for, for the darker sources. So it, it's, you know, it's, it's different for each source. But I do find that it can help with making uh, my signal-to-noise ratio inside of an, a single input better by, mm. by kind of making the actual signal denser or more, you know, apparent. And, and leaving the noise, if you will, as it was, you know, the background as it was. Beauty. Leave the noise. Yeah. So <laughs> that actually leads right to where we're going next. Our, our, our next little bit in this is what are some common gnarly problematic scenarios and how do we deal with them? I think quiet vocalists is the worst Number of the one. bunch. Number one. Yep. Quiet, quiet vocalists who like wants tons of reverb and effects. You know, that's that's the one that's gonna you know get you the most frustrated and 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 most commonly. You know, or if, like. if they're in front of the PA. Yeah, <laughs> true that too. Yeah. All right, so yeah, combine them all exactly. Well, um, let's combine them all. So, Brandon, why don't you hit me with with some of the things you do when you've got a quiet vocalist, and if you got any stories, tell them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I, I do have a story because I, I worked with this this group that had an extension of the stage and the vocalist was super quiet and she was like out on this circular stage in front of the PA like 80% of the show. Ooh. Yeah. Um, luckily, the I, I mean, the best solution I had was PSE combined with... Um, What's that frequency finder that like waves plug in? Oh, where the X, like X feedback or whatever. X feedback, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when I use that, I only had it. I didn't have it available to me all the time. But when I used that combo, it was like we're fucking golden. <laughs> like this is great. Like mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. can be out there. It's all good. Um, other times, I mean, a lot of vocal riding 
and then mm. plus like notching like uh the eq on like the vocal group to like remove problem frequencies and just spending a lot so right. or, no no go ahead, just go spending ahead. a lot of time doing that and like moving around the stage a lot to find the most problematic um frequencies so when you so there's two things i want to kind of break in break into here yeah one when you say finding problem frequencies mm-hmm. you mean you doing it with the vocal microphone when the singer's not there um, and kind of walking around with the mic or or yeah. do you mean while all the singers there like what, I, what's what's your what's your methodology i there? do both i start with just myself trying to find like problem frequencies and kind of like mimic like a quiet vocal and gaining it up super loud <laughs> and like finding those problems but then also like when she gets on the mic then having her sing and and monitoring it and like making slight adjustments. So having different levels of EQ, you know, like EQ on her her channel on the on the group, on the vocal group. And then, you know, if it came to it then doing a little bit on the master as well. So an- another thing you mentioned that I kind of want to point out is yeah. you said doing the EQ on the vocal group. Mm-hmm. So one thing I've seen so many people do is they'll take a vocal and walk out on this thrust out in, into where the crowd is, where the main PA is going to affect it, right? And this is from the perspective of front of house, right? Yeah. And they'll go, okay, this vocal's starting to ring out at, I don't know, 4K. And they'll take their main PA EQ and take 4K out of it. Mm-hmm. And then they'll move it around a bit more, and then it starts ringing out at 2K, and then whatever. And, you know, they start hacking out the main PA EQ. And what you just said... I wish everybody did because <laughs> when you start taking frequencies out of everything on stage because your vocal might ring out, you're making your entire show slightly worse yeah. to save your vocal, That's right? Last resort. That was my right. last resort, yeah. So what you just said was putting uh, an EQ on the vocal group and using that to basically kind of tune the response between that vocal and the PA. That way, the only thing that's ever getting, quote-unquote, hurt by this EQ is the vocal and not the whole rest of the mix. And and I do the same thing um, in the scenarios where where I have a thrust that goes right out in front of the PA. I will put the vocal mic on, on a stand out there and just leave it there and just turn it up until it starts to feed back and kind of dial in an EQ. I actually bypass that EQ until the singer goes out onto that thrust. And then the moment the singer goes out on that thrust, I'll turn it back on because I like my vocal to sound nice and not be all cut up. And then when I'm in a scenario where I know it's, it's potentially at risk, I'll turn it on. Yeah. Now that's a lot of tracking and you kind of have to remember what, what's going to happen and all that. It's a lot to keep track of. But totally that makes sense. And like, like I was saying, she was out there like literally the whole show, except for like one song basically. So I, you know, I basically had that EQ on the whole time. Um, also like having her on in-ears was, you know, key to that because it would have just been impossible to have wedges out there or have her monitor herself off the PA. That would have just been like a disaster. Um, Mm -hmm. but also one tool that was super helpful was like having an iPad, iPad control of my desk so that I could go out on stage and hear it and test the mic and make adjustments at the same time. Nice. That was, that was useful. Yeah. You know, you made one one other really good point. You know, you said riding the vocal is one of your really good tools to maintain, you know, feedback prevention, if you will, at front Mm -hmm. of house. You know, I guess you're fortunate, right? Because you know where that person sings, where they don't. Um, So what I I guess that's you can't really do that if it's an artist you've never worked for before. It's kind of guessing. I guess it's kind of guessing. I mean, depends There's on the intuition involved. Yeah, especially depending on the music, you can kind of like, you know, like this song. And if you can chorus, see them, you know, yeah, that, true. yeah, Joe, for sure. That that that's a thing I was going to say because you know, every once in a while, I'll work for artists where I I don't know what they're singing. You can kind of guess. Yeah, it's the chorus. Yeah, it's the verse. But at the same time, I can see when the mic is near their mouth and then when they put their hand down. When they put their hand down, I pull that fader down a bunch, mm-hmm. and then I'll pull it back up and put it back down. You know. So, Joe, Joe, what are your tools here? Quiet vocalists. Man, I'm gonna. I'm, this is like some PST, PSTD shit because, <laughs> you know, um, PTSD. P- PTSD. Is that, did I say? Did, did I? Did I say PSTD? You, you said PSTD. PSTD. <laughs> yeah, you're so <laughs> fucked up from this that you can't even spell it. Yeah, I'm like shaking thinking about it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mac DeMarco is a 
incredibly quiet singer. I've had this discussion with you guys a million times. Ryan, I had you literally yeah. get a PSE for me because of this. Um, he's an incredibly quiet singer. It it's it's the timbre, it's the sound of his voice. Um, him him belting out and like you know singing loudly. You know, like we talked about before. That's just not that's just not the sound. That's just not what um, his whole thing is. And so you know, he sings super quiet. And it's the nightmare scenario because the crowd is um, you know, louder in his mic than he is. One ten a and yeah, yeah and and it's just you know if you if you've been if you've been to a show in the last five years and you couldn't hear the vocal just know I was having a meltdown or like if you heard feedback <laughs> just know that like just know that I know and like I'm doing everything I can. Um, I've gone through everything that we've talked about and then some um and it's it's an ever-evolving process um so what's like you know, what's like the current your current solution or your current i mean you know? i i was i was in the middle prior to pandemic i was in the middle of switching out vocal mics you know as i had mentioned on the last episode i got that sev7 i was very excited to try it shit shut down right before right right when i got it and um i wasn't able to yet so so that's in the uh that's in the tool belt for the next couple round of shows the psc has been huge um you know and then when we're digital you know i'll use the ways one too um just like honestly i've in in it again we don't carry consoles so like i'm it make it, it that exacerbates the issue because i'm not doing the same thing every day i don't have the same right right tools. you don't have the same tools yeah so you know so i've actually dude to be honest i've like gotten pretty like uh into the just like standard and i'm not even talking sxl i'm talking about like profile uh uh expander gate on a vocal like i've gotten actually i've gotten some pretty good results with that um now now this might sound irrelevant because it's so specific, but yeah. what are your settings roughly? Like, what are you keying, and, and like, wh- how fast is your 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 gate attack release? Because I, I I feel like it'll be helpful to somebody to absolutely, hear absolutely absolutely what works for you. You know, I, I kind of talked about it earlier too, but like, um, you know, you generally a very fast a, a fast attack. It's probably just like you know, if not all the way as fast as it can go, just a little bit a little bit off. Um, and that will depend on certain transients that are still triggering it. Like if the snare is still triggering it for whatever reason, I'll like just back that attack time down a little bit, you know? Right. It's ten- it, it tends to be a little bit less noticeable on a vocal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, low ratio, low. Oh, like God. how low is low ratio? Like like three to uh, one. Uh, under. Okay. Yeah. Three to one, four to one, you know, something okay. like that or, or lower even. And then, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, what? God, we just talked about it. What's the other parameter? It's a hold a, range, 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 release. The range is the big one. You know, it's like you're, you're talking yeah. three, four dB tops and then a slower hold and release so that that's yeah. a little bit more natural. Maybe even almost like, feels like a natural manual fade out or something. Yeah. Maybe even like trying to kind of time it with the tempo of the song or like making it a nice. Oh, now you're getting geeky. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm definitely not chasing it like every song, but. Because that's right. just you know that's. But also, much. artists tend to kind of play within this tempo range for most of their set. Absolutely, you can kind of just feel it out and, yeah. and sit it you, there. You can yeah. you can get a spot where it's like okay, this is going to work, you know, for for pretty much everything. Um, so yeah, lots of expansion. Um, you know, gone through a hundred microphones. Really liked the Heil PR thirty five, um, and and then just like really working on gain structure and and versus eq um like high pass filter is like you know such a in this in this scenario it's it's a very fine uh very fine line with the high pass filter as far as Mm -hmm. like what is going to cut out enough of that low end stuff that will build up and go crazy and but still be audible you know that's something with high pass that you really in, in vocals that you really have to be aware of especially with a quiet singer if you go up too high, like then the intelligibility of the words are going to go away. Um, yeah. And then, you know, as Brandon mentioned, just the whole process of like meticulously ringing out, you know, after, after we sound check, uh, you know, the monitor uh, person and I will, will take, you know, 10, 15 minutes and he'll, he'll grab the mic and start talking into it, start whispering into it, moving around, cupping it, doing all of those things that are potentially going to get it 
to go off within reason. And, and your monitor engineer, for the most part, knows what your artist kind of does. So he, he, he does. The monitor engineer kind of just recreates yeah. all those scenarios as Dude. best they can, right? Yeah. And, you know, going back to that, you know, the, the other, like, thing that exacerbates the issue is that he he's very dynamic. He sings very quiet, but then there are parts of the show where he's literally screaming like a madman. So, like, <laughs> my preamp gain is is there is a limit on where, on how high I can go to get the volume out of his voice. Otherwise gain, you start clipping when he's wailing. Exactly. Gain has to come yeah. from somewhere else, you know, um, usually the back end of the compressor. So, yeah. Essentially, all of the things we've talked about over and over and over again, just beating my head against. Um, <laughs> in fact, if any if anyone has been doing this for longer, or, or even not, or anyone who's had success um, with, with any other things... Um, Please reach out because I'm open to I'm open to all suggestions when it comes to that because it's something that I've honestly even after five years of working with the guy st- still struggle with regularly. Um, it's tough stuff, man. I want to try the saturation thing you talked about. Um, so, so that's next on the block. So I, I I toured with an artist who had never toured before, and her record was pretty much recorded in a bedroom, and the record's amazing. It's really really good but almost all the vocals are kind of whispery, right? And it's got that kind of, what's what's the acronym, the ASMR? ASMR. It kind of has that kind of feel to it where like you really hear this intimacy because she's being so quiet, right? Now, where this was a problem, obviously, is that you can't do that when your first tour ever is, uh, you know, festivals including Coachella, Lollapalooza, giant things. You cannot be whispering like that. Yeah. and expect it to work, right? So we're doing these gigs or whatnot, and I believe I believe we had a little bit of rehearsal time. But in the rehearsal, I had enough space between her and the drum kit that it, it kind of worked, right? But then when we got to the first show, now you add in 20,000 people screaming in her direction. The yeah. crowd noise was, no joke, at least 10 dB louder in her microphone than she was. Yeah. Yeah. And this turned into a nightmare, right? So, you know, back to what uh, what Brendan said, I learned every single line that she sang. And when she was not singing, uh, that vocal mic was down. And again, we're talking from the context of front of house. That vocal mic was, you know, minus 12, maybe even more, whatever. And then I'd pull it up, hit her one word, pull it back down, hit her one line, pull it back down, because I knew all the spots that she'd sing. You know, of course, I learned the record, basically. Now... That wasn't enough because even then when I'd bring it up, it's bringing up all the other crap and there's only so far you can go. There's only so far you can go before I get into a feedback scenario. Now, they're all on in-ears and stuff. So any feedback, it's coming from me at front of house. Yeah. Right. There's no onstage speakers. Mm-hmm. So I'm in this spot where to get the vocal to a volume that would be appropriate for, let's say, an outdoor festival where other stages are also happening. you got to remember that there's like all this background noise of that stuff happening too. Mm-hmm. I basically can't, I can't put it there. I just can't do it. Yeah. So first of all, the entire show had to come down in volume mm-hmm. by some amount. Or at least come down in volume for a bunch of the songs where I know she's super whispery. Mm-hmm. And then other songs, I can kind of kick it up a notch just here and there, you know, where, where it made sense, mm-hmm. right? So my first tool was bring everything down. And by bringing everything down, now the vocal kind of fit. It worked okay. But even that, it didn't work well enough for me. So I'm like, okay, what are my other things I can do? Uh, we tried different microphones. I, I tried... Well, there was no speakers on stage. So that didn't matter. This was one where I was like, Polarity, please help me. Never helped. Didn't help. Mm. Um, you know, I did what, what, what Brendan was describing there, where I would take the vocal microphone, I would ring it out in the PA, and I would have it on a um, vocal group. So I had a vocal group that had, you know, reasonably extreme EQ to be able to make this work, right? So what I'd get away with there is I could get a little bit more level, but I still had a ton of bleed or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So then I go into this expansion gating thing, right? And it worked a bit. But then because of how quiet she was, when the crowd had screamed, they'd pop through the gate too here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is where I got into the really weird stuff. The really weird stuff. I started adding saturation, which helped a little bit, right? And w- where this becomes funny is that like each of these little things helped like 2%. Mm-hmm. Um, not enough for it to be enough on its own, but like it, 
it was better than it was before. Yeah, there's no one. There's right? no one thing fixes all kind of thing. Uh, well, the one thing that fixes it is sing louder, please. Thank you. <laughs> Everything fixed. Right. 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 But but I but I couldn't get that. Right. Mm-hmm. So all, all of these things. I took a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. Then I started doing funnier things. Okay. Saturation. It gave me a teeny bit more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then I started sending it to a chorus, and I'd turn that chorus up almost to the level of the vocal itself. That gave me more vocal, if you will, in quotes, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the chorus couldn't trigger feedback. It just it wouldn't do it. So I could turn it's the chorus up to like plus 20, and it would never tr- trigger feedback. So I would try to set the modulation as low as I could so that it was almost the barely same. Barely a chorus, yeah. Barely a chorus. Mm. Uh and, and then I'd kind of turn that up and, you know, blend that in with the hope that it wouldn't trigger feedback. And and you could get, I don't know, I'd say like 2, 3 dB of extra, you know, perceived volume out of that vocal by doing that. Yeah. And then if you wanted to get even weirder, add saturation to that modulation. Because mm. now you get a teeny bit more out of the chorus and, you know. And then a teeny bit more in there. You're just adding and teeny, then a teeny bit teeny, more there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I was I was full of crazy tricks to try and make this work, um, but then this this one gig happened, and I don't know we were up in like Portland, Maine, or something like that, and um, is some festival, and I get out to front of house, and the front of house tech is is a guy I've actually met a million times coming through Portland with other artists, and he goes, "Oh Ryan, nice to see you, man." Super stoked for your mix. I, I always enjoy it when you come up here, and it's always fun to hear. And um, in that moment, I told him, and I, I don't think I had thought about this at the time. I, I told him, I was like, you know what? Don't get don't get too excited. This one's a rough one. Um, you know, the sounds coming from stage are there. It's it's hard to deal with. And what I was talking about was was the vocal. Mm-hmm. And you know, he didn't really take that warning for much. He was like, oh, okay. What what? I don't know what you're talking about. Whatever. At the end of the gig. Now this this was a big turning point for me. At the end of the gig, he goes, "If I didn't know that you could mix a great show, I'd assume that you were terrible." And it's all because the vocal was it was such a struggle to make it work. Yeah. That every time I'd pull it up, it would kind of pull up a bunch of crap and it would make it messy and then it'd pull it back down and then you know, it was it was a mess. That that day I was like I need to quit this gig. I can't have this be my 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 gig that kills me. <laughs> So, so, so what you're saying is I should quit. Basically, if, if the gig is, <laughs> is really rough on you, quit. Yeah. No. No, but there there are so many things you can do. Yeah. But there's a certain point where you cannot do more than that. Yeah. It's true. You know. Um, I mean, so you know the next step is is education. It is artist. I need more, and and this is the best I can do until we get more. What What right. about that that uh, tech that that video that was going around at the beginning of the pandemic where that guy was um he was like in his like in front of Where his you com- had the leaf blower, the leaf blower, and the Dude, mic. The like, leaf blower. Can we get Nvidia that? RTX. Can we get that noise reduction? Going yeah, please. On? Like, what's going and, on there? And, and Nvidia put Hell that yeah. thing into it. Put that RTX algorithm into an S6L. I don't care if you got to put a card into it. Do yep. the damn thing. I will use it. I'll be the only one using. No, I'm just. Kidding. I'm sure I, a lot of. People. I would absolutely Dude. use that if that was available. No question, man. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a couple other companies like Cedar. I don't know if you've ever seen their stuff. It gets used in corporate world a lot, but they have a noise reduction algorithm that's like designed for kind of a boardroom type speaking or, mm-hmm. or panel speaking. It kind of has like a bit of a Dugan in it plus noise Dugan. reduction. Yeah, I'd I love be the very Dugan. interested in. I'd be very interested in if something like that works or helps. Yeah. You know? But again, at that point, we're talking insanely expensive solutions. Like I think a Cedar box starts at two and a half thousand dollars or something like that. I predict that'll be like part of the next, uh, you know, movement generation in, of thing into yeah. like you know fur- furthering into like the high tech audio world. You know. Yeah, yeah. Right now, everyone's like, ah, oh, immersive is everything, and. Um, I think it would be way more interesting for everyone to pursue something like that. It would definitely absolutely immaculate, clean noise reduction. You know, it would be widely used, especially in live sound on vocals. I mean, that's like that's like kind of like one of the it's kind of one of the the bottleneck points right now. You know, it's like it's like one of the main things keeping sound shitty in a lot of places. You know, there's no reason for it to be shitty. You know, everything else, you know, everything else has come so far that we have very few excuses for it to be shitty, you know, provided everything is, is all this new technology we're talking about. So I feel like it's one of the main things that's, 
that's not uh, not there yet. I, I figure something like that's coming. I figure something like microphone modeling inside of the microphone itself is probably coming. Whoosh. It would make sense. It would be dope. Probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what about other problem instruments? Right. <laughs> now, that, yeah. now that we spent an hour well, talking about quiet vocals, you know, clearly that, we all have a bit of a gripe. Right, <laughs> right. That's that's the toughest one. I feel like that's the one you're going to experience the most, and uh, mm-hmm. it's the most important. So, uh, you know, I'm glad we spent that much time on it. Um, yeah. Uh, next up, acoustic guitars, man. Those, you know, you're going to... They know, can that, be tough. They can be tough, you know, especially if they need to be loud. Um, you, you jet, being very general, there's probably going to be you know, you probably run into some low mid range feedback somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. and carving it out too much will take away all definite, you know, that definition we're talking about and the intelligibility of notes, it'll take all that away. So it's not ideal to hack it up. Gates sound weird on acoustics. They do. Yep. Um, I, you know, for me, I think it really comes down to just a, a, um, a, a nice balance of gain structure and uh, creative EQ. Mm-hmm. You know, how about you, Brennan? Yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah, that's usually been my solution too. I know people use those. I I, I don't feedback think busters. busters. Yeah, feedback they're busters. helpful. Yeah, yeah they, they just work? cover the sound hole. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah they but, work really well. But they by no means eliminate it one hundred percent. You know, mm. I would right? Say. And they affect the tone of the guitar a lot. Big time, mm-hmm. big time. So, so just just for clarity, a feedback buster. It's basically a little rubber disc that you put in that covers up the sound hole. Yeah. And the goal here is that by covering up the sound hole, what's coming off a wedge or something like that doesn't get thrown into the sound hole and resonate inside the body. So what then happens, and, and you got if you think about how a guitar works, right, is you've got strings attached to a bridge. In theory, it's the bridge resonating that goes into the body that kind of makes all the sound, and then it comes out the sound hole, mm-hmm. and that's the sound of the guitar we hear. But once we plug up that hole... The, it's resonating inside, and those waveforms aren't really coming out ever again. So it does totally affect the sound by covering up that hole, yeah. but you do prevent sound, at least some amount of sound, from a wedge going into that hole and you know creating feedback loops. Yeah. It's essentially a different guitar at that point, but it, it goes back mm-hmm. to the whole battle we were saying of, uh, of isolation versus tonality, you know, and... Uh, if that sacrifice is something that needs to be made, sometimes it needs to be made and then made up elsewhere with the equalizer or, you know, other ways yeah. to affect the tone. So, so Brendan, where mm-hmm. do you sit with acoustic guitars? I mean, usually I'm just hoping that they have a DI because that, <laughs> that like helps. Well, yes. Yeah, yes. Right? That, we probably should have said that first. Putting <laughs> right. a microphone on an acoustic guitar in a scenario where you have wedges is asininely tough. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the first thing. And then yeah, just picking out those problem frequencies. I mean, I don't know. I don't have like a surefire like this works every single time because they're always different, but like it's it, that it's like that with with all this stuff, you know. It's it's never necessarily going to work every time, you know. That's why it's nice to have uh, a bunch of things in your, you know, in the toolbox to whip out. Yeah, do you guys have like like w- what other methods do you guys have for acoustic guitar? Well, so it depends on the context, right? If we're talking about doing monitors with a wedge, um, you know, the method you have for acoustic guitar are very different, obviously, than doing front of house and having the acoustic guitar ring off the house, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if I've got a wedge, it's probably going to end up being kind of extreme EQ, right? And typically the resonances for acoustics are somewhere in that 200-ish hertz range, sometimes a little lower than that. But the problem is, and I think Joe mentioned this, is that once you start cutting that out, you start making the guitar feel very empty, if you will, kind of, you know, thin. You know, it doesn't have any meat to it, right? Brittle. Yeah, brittle. That's a good way to say it. So when it comes to acoustic guitar, personally, I find really narrow cuts in monitor world work best, right? So find that problem frequency, do it as a narrow cut, take it out. Find if there's another one, do it as a narrow cut, take it out. If you find that just the interaction between your wedge and that guitar is pretty wide bandwidth in that low end, then you're going to have to go wider. But once you get there, of course, you get back into the thin sounding guitar realm. So if you can find a way to find, you know, a tighter, you know, uh, uh, tighter frequencies to cut, specific ones, 
you'll probably be in a better place in terms of general tonality while also eliminating feedback, but it's just not always an option. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, when the guitar player moves and turns left and oh. then turns right, all of this changes. It, yeah. The whole thing changes, right? The feedback so, frequency will change. You'll hear it. If, the feedback frequency is going to change. And that's why you usually end up taking out really wide amounts of low end from an acoustic. Because mm-hmm. when they move, it's that, that frequency is all over the place. So if you take a, a wide chunk of low end out, at least you eliminate that risk. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from, an, from a monitor wedges standpoint, I don't have a great answer. That's my answer. My answer is do, unfortunately, extreme stuff to the acoustic. Mm-hmm. Uh, one good thing... Take a look at if there is an EQ setting on the guitar itself. True. That's a big thing because a lot of these EQs, they got like three band EQs on little yeah. sliders or just knobs. Uh, or the DI or whatever, you know, some of those yeah. acoustic Fishman or whatever, you know, they yeah, sound yeah, great, yeah. but, you know, if there's too much low it's end, maybe usu- the low end's it's usually in your best. It's usually in your best interest to flatten them out yeah. and start flat and go from there. You'll probably be in a better spot than if those knobs are all over the place. And if the uh, musician says, yeah, but I like it sounding like that, you go, okay, well, I will recreate it on my end and get that sound. And if for some reason I can't, we'll come back to this and we'll readdress it. But at least then um, I have better control. And and if, let's say, everything's great for four songs and then song five, maybe the low end starts taking off, I can sort it out. Whereas if it's done on the acoustic itself and it's pinned all the way up low end, there's not much I can do about it. And it's kind of me doing an EQ to fight the EQ that they've done. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, from front of house, I, I do a weird thing with my acoustics anyways. Um, I don't like the way a DI sounds. I think they sound just kind of too direct. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> agreed. So I actually, on an acoustic, usually insert a really, really short reverb on it, right? And hmm. to me, that really short reverb is kind of emulating a bit of the body of the guitar, kind of emulating maybe some of the room, mm-hmm. some of the space. Uh, and by doing that, um, I sa- I also set it 100% wet. But since the reverb's so short, it basically just sounds like it's a guitar a little bit in a room. Mm-hmm. It, if anything, I back it off maybe 80% wet, 70% wet. I'm, I'm never like mostly dry with a tiny bit of reverb. Because the idea here is to change the tonality of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Right. But by doing that, somehow feedback seems to never happen. It huh. just kind of seems to be gone <laughs> for the most part. Because now we're not listening to the acoustic guitar. We're listening to digitally generated reverb version of the acoustic guitar. <laughs> so when it kind of feeds back into the guitar, it doesn't seem to take off in the same way. It gets mm. disrupted. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. It kind of disrupts itself. So... You know, if you don't like the sound of a, a DI acoustic guitar, give that a shot. Try it out. And I usually do it with um, either like a small room setting or if you've got, you know, kind of the lexicon style settings, things like small wood room or gold room, uh, you know, from an SPX or something, those settings. Do that and just set the, the decay time down to like, I don't know, five to 700 milliseconds, maybe even shorter than that. Wow. You know? And uh, it can usually make the guitar seem a little bit more real. It's definitely going to make it feel a little bit more distant. It's going to push it back a tiny bit. So be aware. But it does often help with feedback. I'm going to have to try that. I'm going to have to try that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, kind of a neat one. Have you, have you guys tried putting a, like, a wireless lav inside a guitar? Mm-mm. You ever tried that? No. I haven't. But some of the guitar DI systems look exactly like a wireless lav inside the guitar yeah that makes sense yeah yeah yeah, i've seen a few that even have like a bit of a gooseneck and you can actually move it around inside of the guitar depending on like if you like more boom or string or whatever cool but interesting idea but um it sounds good it sounds omni you know yeah it sounds all right like if you're if you're just recording something like yeah i've done it like for this theater production i was just doing like i just dropped it in there taped it right by the bridge or like right by the hole yeah I have done that on banjos that didn't have a DI. Mm, yeah. um, I, did, I did that on the Andy Grammer tour, and we kept getting these rental banjos for every single fly date we had. And I'm pretty sure the spec said it needs to be a banjo with a DI. And half of them but then they just, they just wouldn't have one. So yeah. we would take a Beta 98, you know, the little clip-on mic for a Tom, or if they didn't have that, a Beta 91, just take the capsule out of the inside of it. Oh and um, we'd... <laughs> Take off the back of the banjo, route this thing through one of the little gaps, tape it inside it, and then screw the whole banjo back together. And now you got a 98 or 91 wow. capsule, which is a 98, 
inside a banjo. And uh, it still sounded terrible, but it worked. <laughs> <laughs> banjos sound terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I was not a big fan, but at least it, we used it for one song, I think. And, and in that song, I would EQ it heavily just to make it work so you could hear it, you know? Yeah. Hmm? Anyways, isolation um, versus uh, tonality. Sometimes, you know, that that's exactly <laughs> what it was. It was totally a battle of isolation versus tonality. So, you know, I think we hit two of the biggest ones. Um, yeah. You know, if you guys have any other suggestions for some instruments we should jump into talking about, especially regarding feedback, or even just weird instruments that you guys get sent your way uh, and how to mix them, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, hey, thanks for listening. This was a this was an informative one. I th- I feel like uh, at least uh, I I wish I would have listened to it. You know, when I first got into this, you know, whole thing. Anyway, uh, thanks a lot. Um, check us out on the web, uh, livesoundbootcamp.com. Subscribe on your uh, your favorite podcast service. Um, check us out on Facebook. We got a Facebook group going. Um, check us out on Pro Sound Web. Um, wherever you want interact come say what's up email us uh, yeah. post a comment on, on the Facebook uh, l- l- let us know how we're doing and, and anything you'd like to hear suggestions something you want us to talk about um, you want to hear from us so check us out thanks again to our sponsor Rational Acoustics visit www.rationalacoustics.com for information on sales training and all things system measurement